It's become standard fare in our culture for the truth of the resurrection to be questioned in print or in speech. Some have gone so far as to suggest that Jesus manipulated people, manipulated situations, manipulated events in order to get folks to believe that he was the Son of God. Others have asserted that his death was faked by use of drugs so that he might later be revived and that he then could claim to be the risen Lord. Still others have proclaimed that the body of Jesus was whisked away and buried at another location in order to leave the mystery of the empty tomb. I have no problem allowing people to have their opinions. I have no problem allowing people to have their own ideas. With this one exception, it burdens my heart for their eternal destination. Please understand, those types of ideas, they're nothing new. In fact, those ideas were being propagated within years, in fact, even within months, weeks of the resurrection of Christ. At the root of such assertions is simply a basic human premise that's based not on any divine truth that's been given to us or any divine ideas that have been shared with us, but rather based upon human experience. Our experience has been this. Dead men do not rise from the dead and live again. That was what folks were struggling with in the first century. That's what Paul responded to as he was writing his first letter to the Corinthian church in the 15th chapter. He worked from the premise in chapter 15 that if Jesus is not risen from the dead, then the foundation of faith is destroyed. Christianity is useless. What did Paul have to say? That's what we need to look at. We need to go to the Word. We need to stay with the Word. We need to let the Word speak to us and teach us. And so if you've got your Bible, I want to invite you to look with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Find verse 12. Once you've found that, we're going to read chapter, or verse 12 through 19. If you've got your Bible open there, if you can and will, I'm going to invite you to stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Holy Word. Paul is writing to the church at Corinth. We looked at verses 1 through 11 last week. Beginning at verse 12, he says this, But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead, but he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. 
Now, if you would look again at verses 17 and 18, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. Would you pray with me? Father, this morning we ask you to bless the reading of your word. I pray that as we spend these moments together, you would speak truth into our hearts. Help us to understand that which seems so difficult for our world. Help us to embrace your truth and allow it to to take root in our hearts. That we might become a people whose lives and testimonies are pleasing in your sight. And bring glory and honor to you each day that we live. Father, may your word and the ministry of your spirit today convict us of sin. Call us to repentance. Convince us of the Savior. And bring us to the place of new life. Father, give hope, encouragement, and challenge to each one of us. According to your plan and purpose for every life. Now, Father, teach us your truth. We're ready to listen. But we pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Years ago, I had a gentleman in one of my congregations that I pastored came to me and he said, Tim, I've got a question for you. I said, All right. He said, What if? What if it didn't happen? What if it didn't happen the way you think it happened? What if Jesus didn't die on the cross? What if he died, but he did not rise from the dead? I said, can I see your Bible? He said, sure. I took his Bible. I opened it to 1 Corinthians 15. I said, go home and read this. Because you see, that's the question that Paul deals with in the center of this chapter. What if it didn't happen? Seven times in the verses we just read, if you were to go through and circle it, you'll find seven times Paul used the word if. If. And what he was doing was seeking to reveal to his readers the consequences of what happens if Christ did not come forth from the tomb. Now, the undeniable conclusion of those who reject the resurrection of Christ is that Christianity is powerless. It's, it's a phony. It's, it's a hoax. That it is an opiate for the masses, that it is a crutch for the weak, that it is something that is necessary for those who don't have the, the, the strength within themselves to face life day by day. They believe that the dead are those who live in this life and they perish from this life and when they die, that's all there is. There is nothing more. I do not believe that. Not because I'm smarter than anybody else. Not because I've got answers that no one else has. I do not believe that because God says that's not the way it is. I want you to understand something this morning. The most important and pivotal events in human history are engaged in the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
The cross and the resurrection are eternally linked together. Each one finds its fulfillment and its meaning in the other. The cross without the resurrection is simply cruel. The resurrection without an actual death on the cross is powerless to overcome the wages of sin, which is death. The good news that we have is that Jesus died for our sin, rose again on the third day according to Scripture. And in that truth, we find forgiveness and we find hope for our future. I want us to look at these verses. I want to show you what Paul points out as he's trying to help those people who are struggling with the question, what if it didn't happen? He draws them into this passage and he says, look, if Christ is not risen, our faith is useless. You've got your Bible open. You can go back and look at verses 13 through 15. He says, if there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. If, listen, if Christ has not been raised, none of us have any hope. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless. So is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But if he did not raise him, in fact, from the dead, the dead are not to be raised. Listen, Paul understood the emptiness of life without faith. You say, well, wait a minute, faith, Paul was a man of faith? Yes, he was. But even before his conversion, let me just tell you about Paul. Paul understood religion. He was trained in religion. He understood the facts about religion. He understood the practices about religion. He knew that there was a God. He believed there was a God, but he did not think you could have a personal relationship with God. And you cannot apart from Christ. But after he met Jesus on the road to Damascus, everything changed. Saul became Paul. The relationship became reality. And he stresses the value of faith and the resurrection three different times in these verses we read together. He says, look, if the resurrection wasn't real, our preaching is useless. If the resurrection did not happen, your faith is useless. And down in verse 17, he says, if the resurrection didn't occur, your faith is futile. It's worse than useless. The key to every statement that Paul writes in this passage we just read is the word if. If. That's the key word. Understand what Paul's doing. He is writing for, he, he, he's arguing for, he's debating for a decision by his readers. He's presenting the facts to them clearly and he's looking at them and saying, choose, choose. Do you believe he rose or don't you? If you believe that he rose from the dead as the scriptures say that he did, as the eyewitness accounts tell us repeatedly that he did, then we can move forward. If you do not believe, then there's no point in preaching. There's no point in believing. There's no point in holding out hope. There is no reason to go forward with this charade. That same question comes to us. Is the gospel useless? Is the gospel futile? Well, you can sit in silence all you want. I will say, no, it is not useless. It is not futile. Look at, listen, we can sit and talk about the eyewitnesses. Paul already mapped all this out, didn't he? He told us about the eyewitnesses. He told us about everyone who saw Jesus after the resurrection. I mean, he laid all this out in those first 11 verses. I want to take you a step further if I can. 
Not because I'm better than Paul or I know anything Paul didn't. I've just seen the world that Paul did not live long enough to see. And let me just tell you something about the gospel. The gospel has brought incredible changes to the world in which we live. You see, the world that Paul lived in and the world that had been before Paul was a world in which women and children were nothing more than pawns to be used by men. They were property. It was the gospel, it was the gospel that gave value and worth to women. You see, prior to the coming of Christ, prior to the advent of the gospel, women were abused, abandoned, mistreated. Listen, those things still happen, but that's just the evil heart of mankind. The reality is that the gospel elevated the worth and value of women in the home and in the family. In the world that Paul came into, infanticide was a normal and common religious practice. It was nothing for people to sacrifice their children to their God. And then Jesus called the children to himself, and he held them on his lap. And he spoke of them lovingly, and he taught them, and he nurtured them, and he gave them meaning. Children were no longer just a possession. Now they were a gift from God. All of a sudden, the world began to look at women and and children differently. Just fast forward through the centuries, will you? The gospel has nurtured the beginnings of education. You don't know where most of our schools began? Out of the church. Out of believers. Hospitals. So many of our hospitals began out of religious institutions. The gospel, Christianity, has nurtured education, has nurtured child care for orphans and unwanted children. Listen, I can go on and on. There's so many different charitable ministries that have been birthed by the gospel, trying to give water to the thirsty, food to the hungry, shelter to the homeless, clothing to the naked. Why? Because the gospel says people are worth it. See, that's the power of the gospel. You want to say the gospel's not real? I just want to ask you a question. How is it that the gospel has done so much good across the centuries if it's not true? How could it possibly have that kind of power? I don't think it could. Oh, we can keep going if you'd like. Some folks get uncomfortable when I go to the next place, but you know what? The gospel condemned and does still condemn slavery, racism. It's wrong, folks. The gospel of Jesus Christ teaches that all men are equal and our relationships ought to be equal and balanced and right. That may sound strange to some people today, but not very many. But the reality was when Paul was preaching the gospel, man, it was huge because he was preaching in the Roman Empire and there were more slaves than citizens inside the Roman Empire. If the gospel is futile, none of the things that it has accomplished should ever have been done. I want you to understand our faith is not useless. That's what Paul is trying to drive across here. But let's talk about it in a spiritual sense, shall we? If Christ is not risen, forgiveness is a myth. I don't like this at all. I'm just telling you, when the conversation goes here, I start to get real squirmy real quick. I need my forgiveness, folks. I don't know about you. You may look at yourself in the mirror and say, I'm pretty good. I don't really need it. I need my forgiveness. 
In fact, I probably need some of you guys' forgiveness as well. But understand what Paul's saying. Verses 16 through 18. If the dead are not raised, Christ has not been raised either. That means that the wages of sin, death, is still victorious. If he did not come out of the grave, sin and death are still victorious. And if Christ has not been raised, that means your faith in him, it's futile. It's wasted. You're still in your sins. Verse 18, then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If the cross was the end, God's work was left incomplete. To me, that's disturbing. You see, whenever I hear that, man, that grabs at, it tries to snatch away the hope that I hold on to in those dark moments, in in, in those moments when I'm trapped in my own quiet desperation. And and I know some of you are saying, he has those dark moments, those quiet desperation. Yes, I do, and so do you. If we'll be honest, we all have that. But friend, let me tell you something. Whenever we doubt the resurrection of Christ, it all starts to cave in on us. Paul says to his readers here, listen, if Christ is not risen, then we who believe are lost. And what he says in verse 18, those who have died believing are lost forever. In verse 18, the word lost, maybe your translation says perishing or perished, but it means to be destroyed. The proper definition of this word is to come to an end, to cease to exist, to disappear, to vanish, to pass into oblivion. Basically, the concept is this. You live, you die, you are not. We live life and we pass into annihilation. Friends, I want you to hear me very well. And I want you to come back and listen for the next several Sundays because we're going to get into this as Paul goes deeper into this process. But I want you to hear what I'm saying to you. We are not trapped between dislife and annihilation. No, we are called to choose between heaven and hell. Without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we are still in our sins. We are still condemned. But when he came out of the grave, he overcame death. What that means is he undid the wages of sin. Well, how can that be? He was sinless, yes. But he who knew no sin became our sin when he went to the cross. And so he died for our sin, and when he came out of the grave, he overcame the power and the wages of sin, which is death. Now death is defeated. Now the wages of sin have been overcome, and we are set free. He made that available to any who would hear the gospel and would believe and receive God's gift of eternal life. I know some people say it can't be that simple. Listen, it may sound simple to you. It wasn't simple for Jesus. It wasn't simple for him at all. Without the resurrection of Jesus, we would still be in our sins. We would be condemned. But he overcame that for us. And I want you to know something this morning. Because I've come to the realization a lot of people are walking around thinking they're really not very important. 
I want you to know this this morning. I want you to know that Christ completed his mission on earth to reveal to you your value and your worth in the sight of God. All right? And people say, oh, I don't get that. Let me explain it like this. Make it as easy as I can. Every year, American citizens spend billions of dollars on paints and stains in order to protect and maintain the wood on their decks, on their homes, on their siding. And do you know why they do that? We do that because we value those structures. We want to maintain them. We want to keep them. We want them to last as long as they possibly can. Every year in this country, billions of dollars are spent on seeds, fertilizers, weed killers. I get most of the weed killers. And we do this in order to protect and enhance our lawns, our fields, our crops, our grass, our gardens. Do you know why we do that? Because they are of great value to us. We want our yards to look nice. We want our gardens to enhance the beauty of our homes. We want to eat our meals. We understand these things are great value. And we want them to be the best that they can be. God looked down into his world. And he saw the structures and said, oh, they're not going to last anyway. And he saw all the plants and he said, they're not going to last anyway. But the greatest tragedy is when a human soul is lost. And so I'm going to pay the highest price imaginable because I want to maintain them. I want them to last forever. I want them to be of the greatest value they can possibly be. So I'm going to transform them with my righteousness. And he gave his son, Jesus Christ, to keep us from perishing. That's what it is. But if Christ is not risen... Paul says, we're still in our sins. None of what I've just told you that you you said amen to, it's not real. Not if it didn't happen. Let me tell you one more thing. If Christ is not risen, we have no hope. We have no future. In verse 19, Paul writes and he says, If only for this life we have hope in Christ. If it's just for the here and now, if it doesn't translate beyond this few brief years we have, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. If only for this life. If what we have in Christ does not extend beyond this life, beyond this world, beyond this realm, beyond this existence, we're living our lives in vain, fools. Paul was driving at this point, if there's no resurrection, we should be the most miserable people in the world. Now, I'm just going to tell you something. You can accept it as truth or you can deny it and say, oh, he's just telling us that. I'm not miserable. 
I'm not miserable. I, I, I don't doubt it. You say, well, how can you not doubt? How can you not have? Can I just tell you one reason why I can have no doubt? I, I, have, some, I have some privileges that some of you don't have. This week, I got to experience a privilege that many of you didn't get to experience. And perhaps, maybe you never will. Some of you would nod your heads in a moment and say, oh, I already have. I've been there. I've done that. But over the last week, in the last four days, I've spent a portion of each of the last four days sitting by a bedside in a hospice unit. Visiting with a dear saint who said, I'm so ready. I just want to go to sleep and I want to wake up with Jesus. I don't want this to go on anymore. I don't want this to stretch out. I don't want this to go long. I just want to go home. Now, I just want to tell you something. It's easy to say you believe when we're sitting here in this room and we're all doing pretty good, aren't we? Everybody breathing okay? Anybody need attention? We got some medical personnel here. We're doing pretty good. It's easy to say, oh, I believe. It's all right when we're young, when we're fit, when we're able, when we're doing good, when everything's all right, when we've got the help. But listen, whenever you can see that kind of faith displayed by someone who is mere hours away from passing from this life into eternity, and they can sit there and look at you with a smile on their face and say, I am so ready to go home. You realize this is real. This is the truth. You can take this and you can bank on this. You can count on this. This is the real thing. Paul says, if Christ is not risen, if only in this life we have hope in him. We are to be more pitied than all men. If not, if not, if not, if not, seven times, if not... Will you let me cheat just a little bit this morning? I know our text was 12 through 19, but I want you to look at the first word in verse 20. But. You see, that one word is the answer to all seven if-nots. If not, if Christ is not raised from the dead, if Christ is not living, if there is no resurrection from the dead... But, <laughs> but, I love that word. You see, that word right there springs the hope forward for us. In the midst of everything we've talked about this morning, I want you to know something. The tomb is still empty. Christ is still living. He is risen from the dead. He offers hope in the midst of hopelessness. He offers comfort when we are drowning in our sorrow. And He gives us the light of life when we are surrounded by the darkness of death. He is our living Lord. You may be wondering to yourself, why, why is this not going to preach on the resurrection for the next several weeks? I want to tell you the answer from one nut to another. Everything rises and falls on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If not, we have no faith. 
If not, we have no forgiveness for our sins. If not, we have no hope. We have no future. We have nothing to look forward to. But, but, Christ is risen from the dead. So let me ask you one question. Just one question. The most important question you will ever answer in your lifetime. Will you follow the risen Christ today? Everything you do the rest of life hinges on your answer to that question. Will you follow him? I don't know where he's leading you. It might be that you're sitting here and you're saying, you know what? I've never surrendered my life to him. Today, you can become a new creation in Jesus Christ. I want to invite you. If, he's, if his spirit is calling you, if you know you need to surrender your heart and your life to him, if you need his forgiveness, you want to become a child of the king. I, listen, it's not about you wanting to. It's about him making you want to. He's inviting you. He's drawing you. He's pulling you. Would you do it? Would you hear his voice and say yes? Maybe today he's calling you to some type of service, to get engaged in some form of ministry. Would you look around and find what it is and say, yes, Lord, whatever it is, I'll do it. I'll follow you. Maybe he brought you here looking for a church home, looking for a place where you could get connected, where you could fellowship, where you could serve, where you could be fed, where you could be a part of the body of faith. He's calling you here today. Will you follow him? Friend, I don't know what it is that God speaks to your heart. I know when he speaks to me. I know what he calls me to. And he's called me to follow him. I'm doing it. Will you? Let's bow our heads together. In just a moment, we're going to stand together and sing a song of, of commitment, of surrender. I, I want to give you an opportunity. If the Spirit of God is speaking to you today, if, if the Word of God has given you a clear direction, an indication of what needs to happen in your life, I just want to ask you, would you follow Him? Would you follow Him? Maybe you need to simply, where you're at today, talk to Him and say, Father, I surrender. I'm giving you full control of my life. I'm going to do whatever you call me to do. Wherever you lead me, whatever ministry you take me into, I'm ready. I'm going. I'm going to follow you. Maybe you're sitting there and you're saying to him, I'm not sure that I know you. I want to invite you today. Would you come and take me by the hand and say, Pastor, I need a relationship with God. I need to know my Father. He made it possible. I'd love to introduce you this morning. I won't embarrass you or put you on the spot, but we'd love to show you from the Word of God how you can become a member, a citizen of the kingdom of God today. Has God led you to this congregation? Do you need to get connected? Maybe you're just looking at the Father and saying, I've made such a mess out of my life. It's okay. He forgives, and he gives second chances. It's the most amazing thing. What's God speaking into your heart? Will you follow him today?
Father, I thank you for your word. Lord, I know that we come into this place with all kinds of questions. Sometimes doubts, concerns, burdens. Sometimes we're just trying to figure things out. And today, maybe you're speaking to someone's heart and giving them the answers they've been looking for. Father, I pray that today this would be a place of encouragement. A place where we could surrender and others would gather around us and say, let's go do this together. That's what the family of God's supposed to be like. So, Father, we place this moment before you. Your word is clear. Your spirit speaks to each. Give us ears to hear. Hearts that are ready to surrender and follow. Father, have your way in our lives. Be glorified as you move through this place. As you speak to and touch hearts. Accomplish that which points always and ever to you. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.